Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 14. Keep your finger there if you use a uh, Bible app, whatever you do, keep it right there. And I, I just want to say as you're turning there, thanks so much for all those that helped out with the Christmas mansions. Had a great time Monday and Tuesday night. Great flow of people. Hundreds of kids came through here. Uh, just had a really good time. And then Friday and Saturday night, we did the light show. Again, hundreds of people came onto the property, saw the show, and had s'mores, and had a great time. Thank you all that served and helped in, in that. And then Tuesday, this Tuesday, is our Cloverdale Christian Academy Christmas production. So if you'll be praying about that, we have about 200 kids in our preschool, and, and the Christmas production is like Black Friday at the mall. They are lined up out the door. They're beating down the door trying to get in, trying to get the front seat. This place will be filled with parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles. And these kids are going to sing Jesus songs to them. And then I'll take just a minute and kind of share what's going on at Clover Hill and take a little bit about why we celebrate this season. So be in prayer for that. And then also, can I tell you one more thing before I get into the word? We've got the fast coming up. This year we're calling it Reset. So every year we take the first part of January to realign ourselves with that priority relationship. And I just illustrate it like this. The other day, our garbage disposal got clogged up, and it was not, not, blend, not is it blending? What does it do? It's crunching everything up, and you know, you turn on a switch, and it wouldn't do anything. And so I had to get up under it, and I'm not really good at much like this, but I can unstop that. And I used that little tool, and began to twist it around, and then hit the reset button, and everything kind of popped back in place. And sometimes we need that spiritually. We need a spiritual reset, and we'll take the first month's fasting. Is, it's voluntarily abstaining from food for a period of time for a, for a spiritual purpose. We have all kind of resources online that can help you in that, and, and I'll be preaching about it a little bit during it, but you'll need to prepare yourself. It'll start the 2nd and go through the 22nd. We'll have prayer every morning at 7 right here. And then every Wednesday night in the month of January, we'll have service those first three weeks. It's going to be a great time, and I uh, want you to be a part. I just glanced over, and uh, Dave, is, is Zach here with us this morning? Zach's back from the Marines. Good to have you, brother. Good to have you. I just feel like I need to salute you, man. Your shoulders have already gotten broader since you've been down there. Thanks for your service, and thank you for every military man and woman. We just appreciate you guys. And we thank you for keeping our nation safe. We're in a season of, of giving. Our, if you're like my six-year-old Micah, it's a season of getting. He got a magazine Angie gave him uh, not too long ago, and she said, pick out three gifts. This is about 20 pages long. He marked off everything in that book except three gifts. And, you know, and, and I probably use the words that every parent uses, and every parent probably wishes they didn't use when he said, can I have this, daddy? Can I have this, daddy? And I said, I'll see. And that is the dumbest thing a parent can say because it just prolongs the inevitable and you're just seeing forever. And so he wakes up every morning now, daddy, did you see? Daddy, did you see? And you know what that is? That's just, that's just that sinful nature. That's just that narcissistic way in which we are all born. When we're born, it's all about us. When we're born, it's about what can I get? What do I need? What do I want? But when we get born again, the goal is that changes. That it doesn't, that we're not asking God, have you seen yet? We're asking God, help me see. 
Help me see the need around me and help me see the opportunity before me. And let me see the brokenness beside me. And let me make a difference for your kingdom. Let me leave a legacy where my life lives on even when I'm gone. And you'll really, this is not my words, this is the words of the Apostle Paul. You will really never start living until you start impacting and influencing and investing in the lives of those around you. You'll never start living. And many of you are so focused on your problem, you're missing out on what God, what God wants to do in your life. In fact, some of you, your problem has begun to identify you. And so, and so your name is identified with your problem. And can I just tell you the greatest way to overcome your problem is to have something in your life that's bigger than your problem, something that's bigger than you, something that's outside of you. When you focus in on it all the time, it gets bigger. But when you look outside of it, 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 everything else becomes in perspective into what it is. And, and you know, if you, don't, if you don't define your life, your problem will define your life. And so I tried, with the help of John Maxwell, probably 20, 30 years, 30 years ago now, have tried to define my life, and, and I've tried to, to really live with a sense of intentionality in three areas that I want to know God and His purposes for my life, that that's my priority goal, my priority relationship is Jesus Christ, that I want to grow to my maximum potential. I can't be John Osteen. I can't be John Hagee. I can't be Joel Houston. I am who I am. I am who God created me to be. And all I can be is the best that I can be. And, and when you get that in your mind, then the inferiority, the comparison, the pride, the arrogance, the whatever can really be because it's not about the other persons. It's about me growing to my maximum potential. And then I want to sow seeds that benefit others. Out of knowing God and growing, I want to make a difference. I want other people to be better because of my life. I want to come alongside and, and give people a, a pat on the butt to get, a, uh, maybe I shouldn't have said that, a pat on the back to give them a, just a hand up and, and just to move them along and help them in their, in their spiritual journey and to just really walk alongside of them. I, I think that ought to be all of our goals. We ought to all live with that intentionality. And we've defined it at Clover Hill where we want you to know God. Not, not, not just knowledge-wise. We want you to know him intimately. We want you to come in personal relationship with him. We want you to find freedom. We want you to, to settle the issues of yesterday and move forward in the preferred vision and destiny that God has for your life today. We wanted you to discover your purpose so that you can make a difference or that you can sow seeds to benefit others because that's what life is all about and and we've been talking about this legacy offering for several weeks now today we're going to take it up we're going to receive it for united church if you're visiting today it's a great day to be here because you're going to hear what clover hill is about you're going to hear what we're invested in what what really makes our heart beat we're going to take up we're believing god for seventy thousand dollars today in a special offering above our ties to go to united church to plan a life-giving church in the Forest Hill area. He's developed a team. He's got a strategy. Every, every baby needs a parent. At United is a baby church. It's going to be birthed. We are their parent. Every, every baby needs a partner. We're going to come alongside them, not just to launch them, but to help sustain them over the next three years. So, so we, we're praying about that. Today, we're going to believe God for a great offering. We've also talked about giving a million dollars to missions in 2017. From that year and never looking back. From here on out, every year, a million dollars. We want to flow out of this house into kingdom initiatives. We want 
to make a difference. God's blessed us to be a blessing. And the only way that that could happen is if, we, if, we, if we're obedient through our tithes and we're generous with our offerings. But, but here's why it is important to us. Why, why do I need to think about legacy? Why do I need to think about giving? Why do I need to be thinking about making a difference? Why do I need to get my eyes off of my problem and off of others? Here's why. Because Romans 10, I'll get to Romans 14 in a minute. But Romans 10, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And how can they call on the one they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach to them unless they're sent? See, we, we want to be, it's important to us because we want to be a, an agent of sending. We, we want to send the Heather Goodlets into, into communities in Richmond to start these after-school programs. We want to send missionaries uh, to to work with Project Rescue as they rescue these young ladies out of the human traffic trade. We want to we wanna partner with Priority One as they build Bible colleges all across this world, this globe, to, to, to build up kids, to be able to teach, take the gospel back into their known world. We want to partner with the Mark Masons that are going into our prison system and ministering to the incarcerated church. We want to come alongside the Kyle Van Dykes who are on our secular universities being a bright light in that community. We want to we want to feed the hungry and clothe those that are not clothed and, and come alongside those that we want to repair them. We want to speak to the addicted and make a difference in the broken. We want our light to shine for the glory of God. We want to leave a legacy, something that outlives us way after we're gone. And you know, the only thing that will outlive us is people. The only thing that will outlive us is the things that are, matter for eternity. And that's why God said, don't store up treasures on earth. Because they rust, they decay, the moss eat them. But store up treasures in heaven. Invest in people, initiative. invest in kingdom initiative. Because that's where the eternal gains are. And so it's, it's important to us that we're a part of this. And you got to know too, none of us are as good as all of us. And so if we're going to reach a million dollars, if we're going to give 70K this morning, it's going to be because of all of us have sacrificed. It's not equal. It's not equal giving. It's equal sacrifice that all of us would have come with something to sow and something to give. But I want to take it even more to a personal level. Why is it important to you? Why is it important to you that you live intentional? Why, why is it important to you that you live with this sense of legacy why is it important to you that you get your eyes off of your problems all the time and begin to focus on somebody else? And that's, Rome, that's Romans chapter 14. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Why do you keep looking at everybody else and not worrying about yourself? That's kind of like Matthew said when he said, get the log out of your own eyes so you can see the speck in your, in your brother's eye. We get so focused on others, we miss out what God wants to do in us. Or why do you treat with them with contempt? Why do you act like your life doesn't matter? Why do you act like the way you treat other people doesn't matter? That's what Paul is saying. For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. Paul said, this is why it matters. This is why legacy matters. This is why making a difference matters. Because one day you're going to stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, and then Paul quotes the Old Testament, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me and every tongue will acknowledge God. That is the great white throne judgment. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. Everyone is going to 
everyone is going to declare, yes, God, you were God. Jesus was your son. He did die on the cross for my sin. And you want to do it now rather than later. You want to acknowledge God as your Lord and as your Savior. And then he talks about the Bema Seat. It's another judgment. There's two judgments. It's a two-part question. It's a two-part test with two questions. You're going to have to acknowledge God, but also you're going to give an account of ourselves to God. What did you do? So, so why does it matter? Why is it important to you that I have this idea of legacy and living on? Because you're going to have to stand before God. And I've said it. Let me just say it again. Two, there's the great white throne judgment and the beam of seat of Christ. And I'm going to prepare you for the test this morning. I'm going to get you ready. It, it's, it's, not, it's not hard to pass. You don't need to be afraid. You don't need to worry. You just need to be prepared. And, 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 and so I'm going to give you. Here's, here, I was never good at passing tests or taking tests. Passed a few of them, but I didn't take them really well. Especially standardized tests. Any test where you had to be seated for more than four minutes was a real struggle for me. Any, any time, you know, A, B, C, or D was, and you didn't even, I mean, I didn't even understand the question, much less the response to the question. And so somebody asked me, what would you get on your SAT? And I told them my score. And they, and they said, was that on the math or the English? That's on the whole stinking thing. Stop it. And, and what happened was that that testing ability got passed down to my middle son, Zach. Unfortunately, the apple doesn't fall through the tree. And he's a bright kid, a smart kid. He just struggles with standardized tests. He just, he would stress over him and strain over him. And we'd send him to two, he, he had to take the SAT. We were trying to do everything to get him to do good on that test. He just struggled with it. And, and uh, about halfway through, maybe, uh, yeah, about December of his senior year, he gets an offer from Barton College to come play basketball for him. It's a small Division II school in Wilson, North Carolina. And on the table is they're going to pay 80% of his college. They're, they're going to give him a big, a big scholarship to come and play basketball because he's good at basketball. He's just not good at taking tests. But to get the scholarship, he had to get a certain score on his SAT. And, I mean, we were stressing over it. He'd taken it multiple times. And he'd come out to test. I'd go, Zach, how'd you do? He'd go, I crushed it. Killed that thing, man. Just destroyed it. And we'd get the grade back. And it was like pff, dead bread. I mean, just nothing. He was getting, the more tutor we gave him, the worse he got. And finally, we've heard of this lady in Newport News who helps kids to understand the test, not the content of the test. And so we sent him down there. He, he drove down there six times, and she spent about two hours of time with him. And she talked to him. She gave him a strategy to take the test. And so she said this was her strategy for him. Don't take the writing because it doesn't count. And don't take the math because you're not going to get any better. Here, just do the English and only answer the first 18 questions. And only answer questions 65 to 75. And then put your head on the desk and don't look at it again. And that didn't sound like a good strategy to me. I thought you're just trying to manipulate the test. What are you doing? But uh, uh, fortunately for us, this lady knew what she was doing. She, he did exactly what she, he said to do, she said to do. And we got the results back six weeks Later, two weeks before the coach had to know if he had passed the test. And he passed the test with 10 points to spare. And it was a wonderful day in the Grant family because I had just saved thousands of dollars. And I was so excited. And last night, this semester, he's got a 3.5. And last night, he scored six points in a big win over a rival school. And I can't be more proud or more excited for my son. But I want to be proud 
I don't know if this even relates, but I want to be proud and excited for you. I want to help you pass the test. I want to help you be prepared for what you're going to face. Here's the first question. What did you do with my son Jesus? It's a, it's a grace question. It's a faith question. It's not what you did, but what did you, what did you do with what Jesus did? Here, here's where it's found in one place in Revelations 20. Then I saw a great white throne and on him and who was seated on it. That's where we get this word great white throne judgment. So everybody will be at this great white throne. This is what it says. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small. So people are trying to avoid the test. People are trying to miss the test. They're trying to flee from his presence to get out of his sight. They, they know they're not going to do good on it. And so, and I saw the dead, great and small. Those with influence, those with no influence. Those with a lot of money, those with no money. They all stood before God. They could not get away from this exam. There was, no, there was no way around it. And standing before the throne and books were open. And you, and you got to know there's books and then there's the book. And our goal is to be in the book. The books record our past failures, our past sins. And some books record our past good things that we've done. But what happens is he opens up the book, but he really wants to open up the book because when you stand before Jesus, the only book that really matters is if your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And the only way your name can be written in the Lamb's book of life is if you accept Jesus Christ as the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life. And if you are in that book, then these books don't matter because they've all been washed and cleansed and made new. See, there's all these books. I don't know how it works. I told you I'm not very good with standardized tests. I, I just know we're going to stand before God. I don't know if God's going to say, okay, stand, grant, it's your turn, get up. I don't know. But I know these books are going to be open. But thank God, by faith, my name is in the Lamb's book of life. And so, and so if that's it, then the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. If your name's in the Lamb's book of life, you live and you live eternally. If your name is not in the Lamb's book of life, then you will be held accountable for what were in the books. See, God, people go to hell not because God is mad or mean or angry. People go to hell because their sin has not been paid for. Because there's too much stuff in the books. But Jesus came that the books could be eradicated, that the books could be made clean, that, that our name could be in the book. If you, if you don't accept his forgiveness, then, you're, then your name will stay in the books and you'll be judged according to what you've done. But Jesus said, I'm going to be judged for what? I'm going to be judged for you. He who knew no sin became sin for you so that in him you might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. This is how it works. Jesus said, I'm going to take their judgment. I'm going to take their punishment. I'm going to allow the stripes to be laid upon my back. I'm going to shed my blood. I'm going to die so they can live. And when you accept that, your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. You are, what did you do with Jesus? Here, here you, you have to believe, obviously, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, 
but have eternal life. Yes, Jesus, you are God's son. You did come to earth. You did die on a cross for my sin. You did resurrect from the grave. You are coming back again. I believe that. And it's not just transferred from, it's not just in my head, but it's transferred to my heart. And I am living out of that belief. And there's a big difference between just believing it, but, but from living out of the belief. There's not only belief, but the Bible all throughout Scripture speaks of this word repentance. And, and when all these people were getting saved in Acts chapter 3, they said, what do we have to do? And, and Peter said, repent and turn to God. That means I'm going, I'm doing my thing my way. I know how life should be lived. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to satisfy my needs. But if I'm going to repent, I'm going to turn from that and turn to God. God, you're smarter than me. God, you're wiser than me. God, you know more than me. This way might seem right. It might appear right. It might feel right. But God, you're right. And your ways are higher than my ways. I'm going to repent from that and turn to you. And there's, there's, a, there's a change so that your sins may be wiped out. So your name can go on those. Those books can be removed. And the times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And then, then you've got to accept his leadership. Here's what Matthew said all throughout scripture. This is repeated over and over again. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, well, I believed. I said it with my mouth. They're not going to enter the kingdom just because of that confession. But only the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. I've started to live out of that belief. Because when, really, when you love God, you obey God. That's what Jesus said. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And it's not like you'll, well, hey, you better prove your faith, prove your love by, by obeying me. That's not what Jesus was saying. He was saying, just love me. And out of that will result in obedience. The byproduct of love will be obedience. It's not a, it's not a religious, legalistic, legal, that's a tough word to say, thing. It's out of a relationship. Lord, I love you. And, and you know what happens again? You're so here's the question. What did you do with my... Son, Jesus, the answer is I accepted him as my Lord and Savior. Here's how Paul said it. In view of God's mercy, I've offered myself as a living sacrifice. Because Christ thought I was worth dying for, I thought he was worth living for, God. I allowed him to pay for my sin, and I received him as my leader. Come on in, buddy. You, you know, I already knew that, but I just wanted to test you one more. Come on in, pal. You've got a great, that's the first that's the first, and that determines your eternity. That, that's all there is to your eternity in heaven. That's the only question and the only sufficient answer. Don't get to heaven and say, well, I worked hard enough. Don't, don't do that. I, I was good enough. I paid enough. I went enough. It's, not, it's a grace question. It has everything to do with Jesus. Here's the next question. This is a works question. What did you do for Jesus? So, so once you've once you pass that first question, you're in. <laughs> you're in good shape. But you're going to stand before God one day, and now he wants to reward you. He wants, in, in, in the content, let me read it to you. It's almost like he, it's, it's perceived, or, or it's like he wants to pay you back for what you've done. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. This is different from the great white throne judgment. Again, I don't know how it plays out. I don't know, I don't know what it will look like. But we'll stand before him. Second part of the test. The first part of the test, it, you're either in or out. If you get to this part, you're in. But he wants to reward you. He wants to honor you. That you may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Why does it matter that I think about legacy? 
Why does it matter that I, that I think about sowing into others? Why does it matter that I think about getting my focus off of me and to other people? Because one day you're going to stand before God and you're going to give an account for what, for what you did. And you say, Pastor, you shouldn't be concerned about the rewards. And I would respond, Abraham was. Listen to what he said about him. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations. He was willing to get up, move out of his nation, be a wanderer, live in tents, because he was looking forward to heaven, whose architect and builder he was God. He was living with an eternal perspective. And could I just encourage you today to quit living so temporarily and start living in light of eternity. Get your eyes fixed on the prize. Get your eyes fixed on the goal. Get your eyes fixed on heaven. And you will begin to live differently and act differently and think differently. That's what Moses said. Moses said, I'd rather endure ill treatment with the people of God. I'd rather get beaten, abused, belittled, than to enjoy the passing pleasure of sin. Well, who would do that? Well, if this was all there was, surely I'm just going to enjoy sin. But this isn't all there was. Because I regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ. Why? Because there's something of greater value than the treasures of Egypt. Because he was looking ahead to his reward. I, I know if this is all there is to life, then it is all about me. Then I do need to satisfy every desire and, and fulfill every appetite. But if I'm just passing through, if eternity is, is forever, then I'm going to live in light of that. And I'm going to be able to reject and say no to and do whatever so that I can experience the reward when I get before God. Here's how Jesus said it. For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with the angels, and then he will reward each person according to what he has done. You're going to stand before God one day, and there's going to be an award ceremony. There's going to be an opportunity for God to, to say, well done, well done, thy good and faithful servant. And, I, and why does it matter? Because I want you to stand before God. I want to stand before God, and I don't want to say, well, God, I know you were good. And you know what? We don't even know how good God is right now. We're only going to realize that when we get to heaven and our eyes are fully open and we, get a, 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 we see clearly who God really is. And we are going to, I don't want us to be ashamed when we stand in the presence of God. I want us to be able to hear from his words, you were faithful with little, I'm going to make you faithful over much. I so appreciate your commitment and your passion for me and your faith that caused you to get involved in the lives of others. It's a, it's a, it's a reward thing. Why does it matter? Because one day I'm going to have to answer to God for it. What did you do with Jesus? What did you do for Jesus? This, here's how Paul says it. Paul says, before salvation, Jesus is working for us. Before and during salvation. Meaning that he, he did all the work. He died on the cross. He gave his life. He's working for us so that we can be saved. But once we get saved, he begins to work in us. He begins to change us and transform us. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. He begins to change our appetites and our desires. We don't love what we used to love. We don't do what we used to do because we, we're not who we used to be. If any man's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. And then once he works for us and works in us, he begins to work through us to be a blessing to other people. Not so we can be forgiven, but because we are forgiven. Not so we can be accepted, but because we are accepted. Here's how Paul lays it out. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. God works for us. It's a faith thing. 
He did it all. And this is not from yourselves. It's a gift. You can't earn a gift. You don't deserve a gift. You receive a gift. It's not by works, communion, baptism, coming to church, giving in the offering, serving in the nursery. You're not going to be able to stand before God one day and boast about your goodness. You're not going to be able to say, well, I deserve heaven. You deserve hell, but in God's mercy, he sent his son so that you could experience heaven. But he goes on in verse 10 and says, for we are God's workmanship. Now he begins to work in you, changing you, transforming you, changing your attitude, changing your heart, changing your budget, changing your thinking. Because you were created in Christ Jesus to do good works. He starts working through you. In those three verses, we God works for us, God works in us. And God works through us so, so that we can make a difference for him. Before life, before Jesus, life is about me. After Jesus, life is about making a difference. It's about sowing seeds that benefit others. It's about doing something that will outlive my life. So, uh, okay, what's the answer? How do I do that? I want to make sure. And I, here, let me give it to you, and then I'll try to break it down. Here's the first thing I would do. I will intentionally give what I have. And this word intentionally is so, so important because it means, it means purposefully. It means, uh, what does it mean? It means on, on purpose. It means not out of unintentional, but, but I'm going to do it strategically. I, that, here's why this word is so important. Because if you're not careful, if you don't live intentionally, you'll go, where did the days go? And where did the weeks go? And where did the, where did the years go? And how did I get to this point? And I got a lot of stuff, but nobody's coming to my funeral, and nobody's around my, my bed, and nobody, because I've not lived intentional. I've lived for the here and now, but I've not lived for eternally. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give, I will intentionally give what I have. You got, and I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking, you got arms, hug somebody. You got thumbs, text somebody and encourage a note. You got a skill, serve somebody. You got resources, bless somebody. Invest in kingdom and eternal initiatives. Again, I, I want to answer everything with scripture. Why? Because you, you will be made rich. And I think we could change this and we can say, we have been made rich. If you live in America, you're rich. If you live in Chesterfield County, you're very rich. In every way, not just, not just money-wise, but opportunities with gifts and talents and abilities. God's made you rich in every way. Why? So that you can hold on to it and hoard it? No, so that you can be generous on every occasion. So that you can live out of that new nature. So that as God works in you, he can begin to work through you. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Here's what Paul is saying. Because of your generosity, people are going to get saved and it's going to bring glory to God. Intentionally, if, if we're going to be intentional about this, I, I think the first point, and can I echo a little bit of what I, what I said last week, we've got to be percentage givers. We've got to be tithers. Because if we're not intentional about it, it's not going to happen. If we don't put it in our budget, if we wait till what's left over, it's not going to happen. You've got to be intentional about it. You've got to say, I'm going to obey you, God, more than anybody. I'm going to fear you. I'm going to honor you more than anybody. I'm going to return the first 10%. And I'm going to do it intentionally. Every week, every, every time I get paid, I'm taking the first 10% and I'm bringing it to the storehouse. But not only with our tithe, but we need to be intentional with our, with our offerings. That's above and beyond our tithe. And that's what this morning is about. We're gonna, in a minute, we're going to give our tithes and offering. And I need you to clearly mark which is which. 
But if you've brought a legacy offering, that's our, that, we're going to sow. We're, we're going to say, God, this is above and beyond what you've required or what you've asked for. But you've made me rich in every way. So I want to be generous on every account. And I think this is a, an investment worth getting involved in. And I'm going to be a part because more, all of us can do more than some of us. We're going to partner together to plant this church in the Forest Hill area. I'm going to give intentionally. Here's another thing. I will intentionally serve others. Again, it's got to be intentional. If you just think, well, it's just, it'll just happen, it doesn't happen. You got to plan it at times. You got you to be in purposeful about it, mindful about it, meaningful about it. So in your bulletin today, I have put a connection card. And, and you know, if you, if you will, I'm just asking everybody to fill out the front of it because we're, we're always... Needing, we just need to know, update our database, who calls this their church and what you're about. If you wouldn't mind doing that, and when we take up the offering, turn it in. But also on the back side, it says make a difference. And, and you got to do it intentionally. And here's what we say at Cloverville. We say serve the church, touch the world. You're part of this body, then you need to be serving in this body. And we have four teams that you can serve on. The hospitality team, which just creates the environment and the presence for people coming in. To our service, the kids ministry team, the prayer team, the creative arts team. We, we, if you're, we just want you to serve strategic, not every week, occasionally. We'll get you on a schedule, we'll train you, we'll teach you. But we want you to be a part of what's going on in your load. This is your church, you need to be a part of it. And so we want you to serve, and then we want you to touch the world. And we, we've got some great initiatives, we think, the foster care initiative that we're a part of. This week, a six-year-old went into care, and, and one of our families that are here that have been trained uh, picked the boy up at the, at the emergency room. There was, there was, uh, they thought there was some abuse going on, and so they had to quickly remove him from his home, and, and uh, the, now he's come to this other family that they've just opened up their arms and welcomed him and, and doesn't have their last name, but they're loving on him like they're, they're, he's their own kid. Brought him to church Wednesday night. Never been to church. On his way here, he, he said, where are we going? He said, we're church. Never been to church. What's it like? And they began to have an opportunity. But they did it intentionally. You, here, here's what I mean by intentionally. You just don't get a call one day to pick up a six-year-old because you're available. You get a call one day because you've been intentional about it and you've planned about it and you've done the right things and you've went through the process and you've taken the classes and you've prepared yourself so that you can receive the call. And, and again, that's what I mean intentionally. You, and maybe fo and I, I know, if foster care is not your thing, then find something. Find something. Uh, compassion ministry, prison ministry. I don't know. Serving. Chesley Delanes takes a group of men all the time, and they just use the skill that God has given them to make a difference. I'm just, I'm just saying serve the church, touch the world, because you're never really living, according to the Apostle Paul, until you start living for others. Here, here's, here's the last thing I would do. I will intentionally share Christ. Again, it's not like I'm just going to hope somebody asks. I'm going to be strategic about it. So I, I used to coach, and I, I've started with Micah now because he's just getting into sports a little bit. But I coached my boys' teens all through, all through their, pretty much all their life. And, and I did it, yes, I did it because I wanted to be around my boys and I love, I love sports. But I also did it, I tried to do it with a sense of intentionality that I'm going to do this so that I can get to know other people, so that I can build relationships with other parents, so that I can invest in other kids, where hopefully I'll get to a place 
relationally where I can share my story, what Christ has done for me, and I can invite them to church. See, I'm not asking you to do another thing. I'm just asking you to be intentional about the thing that you're already doing. If you like running, then do it, but do it intentional. Be intentional about it. Just don't train for the next event, but get somebody you know is far from God or doesn't have a relationship with God and, and, and invite them to be that they like running. Invite them to be your training partner and do it with the purpose that I'm going to build a relationship with the hope that one day I'm going to be able to share my story and invite them to church. Whatever, whatever your thing is, if, you're, if you love softball, I'm not telling you to quit softball. I'm telling you to play with with some sorts of intentionality. And I'm going to go out there and I'm going to try to be the best batter and the best fielder I can be. But I'm also going to try to win people to Jesus. I'm going to try to live my life in such a way that I'll have the opportunity and privilege to share my story and invite them to Christ. Invite them to church. It's, do you see the difference between just living and living intentional? Because it matters. Because life matters. Paul said one day you're going to stand before God. And, and then you're going you're gonna to hope, you're, you're going to be thankful you had a pastor that told you on a regular basis to live your life with a sense of intentionality. Here, here's what Paul said about sharing your faith. We are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. There's no plan B. We are his plan. Okay, how do I do that? Go into the country and urge anyone you find to come in so that my house may be full. That. You know, we don't like a full house. We, we like seats beside us. We don't want to sit by anybody that's not blood. We don't want to go to a movie theater that's full. Anybody like a movie? I hate it. I don't want to sit on the front row. I, I don't want to be rubbing elbows with somebody I don't know. I don't want to be listening to somebody smack their popcorn beside me. But this isn't a movie theater. This is the house of God. And God said, I want my house full. I want you rubbing shoulders. I want you close. I, I want to be. And you know, there, we, our goal ought to be every chair ought to be full. And when we fill every chair, let's pull out more chairs. Let's fill this place. Let's fill it. Let's do it with intentionality because one day we'll stand before God. And I want others to be in heaven because of me, not in. We live in, intentional. We do it with a sense of purpose. Two questions. One day you'll stand before God. What did you do with Jesus? It's a faith question. Did you accept him or reject it? Did you embrace him or stiff arm him? The second question is a works question. What did you do for Jesus? Did you give what you had intentionally? Did you, did you serve others intentionally? Did you share Christ intentionally? Here it is. What's the greatest law? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the first, that's the first answer to the first question. And then love your neighbor as yourself. That's the answer to the second question. To love God and to serve others. Amen, everybody. Bow your heads and your hearts with me for just a moment.